Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Welcome to this edition of the Speaks Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Donald Taylor, and with me today, I have Helen Smythe, Group Digital Learning and Design Manager at a leading UK retailer. Helen, great to have you with us. Hi, Don. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. You've done an awful lot. I've heard you speak more than once. You've always got great stuff to share about a range of things to do with learning and getting organisations to go digital. But can we get the background on you? Could you introduce yourself? What, what's your current role? Where did you come from? How did you get into it? Sure. OK, thank you. So I've been in my current role for two and a half years. So I joined the business at the point where I made some changes to the HR team structure and very much went into a structure where with sort of specialist areas within HR. So we have reward teams, learning and development teams, etc., and as opposed to HR generalist teams in the business. And, and I joined at that point when those, uh, one of those teams was formed for L&D. Prior to that, I've always been in L&D. It's been, it's been something I've always done. Like many of us, I think, I fell into it. It wasn't <laughs> by design. As I was leaving university with a, with a business degree and wondering, like we all do, what on earth to do next now that the time of wasting away at university is over and you've got to actually go and get a job. And at that point, I was offered the opportunity to become a research assistant at the university that I'd done my undergraduate studies in and carry on and do master's degree, which felt like a good way to put off um, getting a real job. So I took that opportunity and stayed to become a research um, student. But that also came with the opportunity to do some part-time teaching support in the department that I was a research student in. So some support one-to-one, helping final year undergraduate their dissertation, for example, and, and that kind of thing. And I loved helping others to learn and, and to put together their, their final theses and to understand some of the subjects that they were studying. And that led on to me training to be a teacher of higher education. And I stayed and didn't leave for 20 years. So that became my profession. I trained um, the, through the university to be an educator and spent 20 years as a lecturer, then a senior lecturer, and then a head of department across for UK universities and a range of international locations as well that were affiliated to those universities. So worked in China for a little while, worked in Hong Kong, in Spain, in Malaysia, through those connections. And, and then gradually, after kind of 20 years of that, I was working more and more with different organisations, different corporate businesses who wanted to have their people access university education as part of their corporate professional development and starting to pull together programs that were increasingly digitally delivered, that were suitable for distance delivery, that were suitable for people who wanted to study part-time whilst working full-time, that would support people's internal leadership programs and other operational programs and so on, and started to work with a lot of those organisations from within the university supporting that activity, and just gradually got drawn through those relationships into the world of corporate learning and made the jump out into corporate learning just over 10 years ago now. I worked for several manufacturing and engineering businesses through that time, 
head of L&D, head of digital, different roles, some of them international, some of them UK-based, into fantastic opportunity for me to lead a team at a, at a more senior level. That's me. That's where I've come from. That's where I am now. Not many people have that solid a background in the academic side. And that's fascinating that you've brought that in. And I think it would be really interesting to hear anything you, you brought over from the world of academic learning into the workplace. But let's talk about the workplace. It, not everybody has that depth of experience in the academic sector. Very few people in our field, in fact. It would be great to hear as we talk about where you think you've been informed by that. But let's talk about the workplace. Before this recording, we've chatted about your experience. You casually mentioned onboarding 25,000 people online. That's something which most people would find pretty difficult to imagine. Can you just talk us through that? What was the challenge and what did you need to successfully accomplish that goal? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as we sit here now in after the pandemic kicked off and, um, you know, we all started to, to change a lot of what we've been doing before this, there's a lot of things I think that over that period of time we've done that we didn't anticipate having to do. There's a lot of change. We have a lot of times when we need to bring a lot of people in quickly to support our peak periods of trading Christmas, for example, and so on. So it's not unusual for us to bring on board a lot of different people at, at different key points of the year. But when lockdown struck and people were needing to shield at home and we've got colleagues who were, who were unwell and needed to take time off and we've got a huge demand for food and, and other products that we were trying to support under the, the feeding the nation um, strap line that, that was used at the time in the UK. There was a need um, for us to bring on board 25,000 people pretty quickly. And from that, I mean, we were trying to get to the point where somebody could walk in off the street in the morning and say that they'd like to work for us because they'd been, you know, they were able and, and willing and available to help get food to people who needed it at that time. And we wanted that person to be able to replenish and fill up stock and shelves, toilet roll, flour, pasta, etc. that at the time was was, you know, hugely under yeah. under challenge in terms of getting it back out on the shelves and be able to really get people working quickly and effectively in those roles and join the team in our stores. So 25,000 people was the ask over about three to four weeks of a period. But the main thing was the speed with which we needed to get people in because you know, it's usual in, and I'm sure it's the same in many corporate organisations, you can potentially show people the basics of how to perform a role quite quickly with somebody showing them how to do that. But getting them access to systems, getting them fully set up so that they have got all their required security and passwords and, and other things to get onto digital systems is often something that doesn't happen quickly. There's often processes around that that mean it has to have an overnight process, for example, or there's a lot of security that needs to be undertaken. So our biggest challenge was we already had our induction and onboarding online for our stores in retail. We could already say we'd got that available. It was ready to go. It was been used for, for nearly two years. But how do we get access? to that to people who don't have a full systems um, access they don't have passwords and full logon details and they're not going to get them in the next um, 48 hours so we had to make that content available just via a url and enable a way of capturing that so that we could just get it out to people quickly and easily so that resulted in my team having to do some overnight work we did a quick transformation in 24 hours to create a new version of the content make it available to people in a different way so that we could do that quickly so 
it was brilliant to have had the background. We spent a long time making sure that we have that digital product available to people right. before them joining the company. We put all that hard work in a few years ago now. So therefore it was great to be able to respond quickly to our, our recruitment team and say, yeah, we can do this. We can get a new version of this available and we can have it so that we can access it to people who don't have full systems access in the first 48 hours. Would you have been able to do that without having set everything up in the past? Uh, you said like one to two years beforehand. Would it have at all been possible? I don't think it would, no, because there's a few things. I mean, you, you, the content's obviously got to be right. I mean, we spent a long time working with end users and, and our colleagues across the stores a couple of years ago when we built this product to make sure that it really worked for them. You know, it's a very interactive digital experience that takes people around the store as they go to really understand in situ what the tasks are that they need to perform, what things look like, the shape and scale and the size of the store and, and how they need to interact with different people and, and places around the store. So it's not a piece of content that is just, you know, to be watched and understood. It's a piece of content that requires people to be very interactively involved in it and become familiar with the activities that they need for. That takes a while to build. You know, there's, there's a lot of time and effort in engaging with people, understanding you know, what they need to know to perform, what behaviours we want them to demonstrate and what realities they're operating in to build that kind of stuff. You can't just bring it up overnight. And also in the case of retailing, you know, there's a range of, of legal requirements and safe and legal issues. You know, we sell alcohol and we sell other products that are potentially dangerous razors, scissors, knives, etc. So there's a range of, of requirements around the, uh, the training that has to be provided to people who are selling those items to the public. And again, that has all to be fully signed off. It has to be assured by the primary authority. It has to be fully approved. You can't get that done in 24 hours. No, when you say the primary authority, I mean, I've had a chat recently with Sydney, Dr. Sydney Savion, who's the chief learning officer at Air New Zealand. And she was saying very much the same thing in moving their compliance training from being face-to-face -to, -face to largely online, that you have to get the buy-in of the primary authority, the people who actually regulate this stuff, and that will inevitably take time. So if you want to get ready for an emergency, don't wait until the emergency starts. You're going to have to get the groundwork laid beforehand. I guess that's the message here. Yeah, it is. And I think in retail in the UK, certainly, that's just part and parcel of what you, you always have to do. And our colleagues at the primary authority are always endlessly helpful, supportive. You know, everybody works together to make sure that, that the product's right and so that people in the workplace are safe and they're operating to the right legal principles and, and you know, we're doing everything as we should. So, yeah, that's never a... A difficult process but it can take time because inevitably yeah. there's some questions things need to go backwards yeah. and forwards and, and laws change from time to time and and, and of course the authority will have legitimate reasons for wanting certain things to be done which you then yeah. you might want to go back and, and tweak whatever you've produced so look we've learned a couple of things during lockdown firstly you can respond to an emergency provided you start in advance and secondly extraordinarily enough which is great you were able to get people through their onboarding in a very short amount of time brilliantly what else did you learn during the lockdown period about learning my team and i we went home on the 17th of march having been office based before and we've been home ever since and operating entirely remotely or some of the time in stores when that's been necessary but, but mainly from home 
we were able to do that because we already had a fantastic setup in terms of the network access, the remote working, the hardware and the technical things that we needed to do that, the, the software in terms of the, the builds that we needed for, for those items. So we got all of that. But what we'd also got um, probably was, like a lot of organisations, quite a few tools. So when it came to remote meetings, for example, we'd got Skype, we'd got Microsoft Teams, we'd got different instant messaging services, we've got Yammer, and we've got lots of different social and, and collaborative tools to use. And I think what's been fascinating is the extent to which those things have they either succeeded or failed during this time. So we found that Skype, for example, apologies to the whoever the owners of Skype are, but Skype just didn't hold up. It just fell over. And Microsoft Teams was it was a platform, it was a it was a an application that was getting a lot of traction in before lockdown. You know, my team, for example, we were pretty much early adopters of it. We've been using it for a long time, very collaboratively and using all of its functionality. But quite a few people in the business were still using Skype. Teams wasn't yet enabled for our bank colleagues, for example, wasn't yet rolled out across the whole business. And, and quite often you'd switch between Teams or Skype. And there was a bit of an internal debate, I suppose, in the business about which one would end up winning at the end of the day. Well, COVID has proven hands down Teams Teams has won without a shadow of a doubt very quickly. It became the platform that was reliable. So people just switched to using it. It became so ubiquitous that people now talk about going on a Teams call as opposed to a virtual call. And all of the functionality that comes with Microsoft Teams now in terms of its integration with SharePoint, the ability to share files, to collaborate, to share thinking and ideas and to to generally support others and, and help and coach and mentor others through this period. It's been a tool that's been just fully adopted across the organization. That kind of adoption rate would never have occurred without the, the catalyst that was COVID. I think it's the same in terms of the adoption of online food grocery deliveries that we've seen and the adoption of smart shopping stores where people are scanning their own shopping and paying remotely, for example, for things. Again, all of those were pieces of technology and applications that existed, but the way in which they've been adopted so thoroughly with everybody having the same understanding now of how those tools work, the same ability to use those tools and just become so ubiquitous in, in everything that we do. So where perhaps beforehand in a learning sense, we might be having a campaign or an approach to how we supported people in adopting new technologies and using um, some of these, these approaches like Teams Live events, for example, and other things as a replacement of classroom delivery. And we might in the past have hit some questions about, well, how will that work and will it be as effective and, and how will mm -hmm. we move things online? Now people have experienced it for themselves. So there's, there's a lot. The barriers have come down, I would say. There are a lot fewer barriers now in people's minds. They know how it works. They've experienced it repeatedly over months. So they don't have questions about some of those things. They're just keen to talk about all the ways in which this new technology can be used to support learning and, and work with you on that. So it's probably accelerated some of our conversations hugely around technology and the use of technology for the delivery of learning. And a lot of people, I think, have gone through that experience with various tools 
this idea of a mass shared communal experience that's accelerated what was happening anyway but it's like any sort of environmental change sometimes you have winners and losers sky skype lost out this was more than just teams being used for lmd though teams was being used for communication generally do you think that's had a wider impact on people's view about if you like doing stuff digitally than just saying yes we can use online training yeah i do i mean i think i think it's opened people's eyes to the possibilities i think some of the possibilities that that we in lmd were were very much aware of and some of you know the ways in which perhaps we think about all the different opportunities that there are to engage people with resources and experiences in a way that can be very very varied and can really meet the different needs of different user groups that we might be we might be working for and with so you know, in the past, we might have um, been working with a particular business area around a, around a particular performance problem and recommending um, a range of different approaches that we could try, that we felt that, you know, with our work with end users, we felt that these would resonate, that people would find these resources useful and, and helpful, or these experiences would help them practice certain skills or whatever, and we would recommend those different approaches. But sometimes, inevitably, and I've encountered this in any business I've ever worked in, we would find that people would, they'd like to stick with the things that they, they knew, that they tried before. So regular e-learning, for example, that, that everybody knows. We might hate the click next and the, and the content dumping, but people are familiar with it. They're comfortable with it. They know what that looks like. They know how it, how it works. They know how it works. Absolutely. Um, you know how it how it looks and feels they, they know what that product is just the same as we're all comfortable with and we know what a face-to-face -face session a workshop looks and feels like and they know what's expected of them so they turn up and they don't have to understand the process it's straight into it and of course yeah. during lockdown we all had this experience with things like teams that became a new familiar environment very quickly I think. absolutely so i think now you know the conversation can start at a different point right the way across an organization in terms of saying look we've all experienced loads of different ways in which for example we've learned a new skill as we've as we've been through lockdown people always said that there's absolutely no way that personal training could be delivered remotely for example that absolutely is a service that relies on being face-to-face -face in a gym environment we've proven that that it doesn't that doesn't mean that there isn't a need for some face-to-face -face activity sometimes when we're practicing something technical for example or we need to use a piece of equipment safely and, and be observed doing so for example something of that kind there are definitively uses for for face-to-face -face activity but it's opened up that whole toolbox that LD has to the end user i think in a, in a way that now the conversation starts at a different point of think of all the things we could try here that would be the best use of people's time, that would be the best way for them to access this resource, or would be the best experience that we could help them to practice and embed this this skill. And and people much more open and, and aware of the opportunities and the options. So the conversation can start at a different start point. So rather than there being a couple of defaults, which is largely, well, there's an online course or we do it face to face, you've got a wider yeah. set of possibilities and there's no assumption necessarily it's got to be one or two. There's a real sense that you can find, as you say, what's best for the particular occasion. That's brilliant. So I think it's also that um, I think in LMD we've been trying to change the conversation that perhaps we're responsible for as well, but we've been trying to change the conversation for a while from what do you need people to learn? What do you need people to know? 
to what, what do you need people to do differently or better? What is it that you're not seeing in the performance of, of the, this particular division or group of people or area that, that you want to try and change? What, what metrics do we want to look for? What change do we want to see? How are we supporting business performance here? And so effectively what you're saying is, what's the end goal? What, what are we trying to achieve here? And let's help and support you to get there. And I think what lockdown and, and the pandemic situation has done is people have become much more focused on what am I trying to achieve? What am I actually trying to do differently today? And that's born out of an emergency scenario of, all right, well, by tonight, I need to have this happening that wasn't happening this morning. So I think people, all of us, have become much more used to talking in terms of what am I trying to achieve? What's the outcome I want to see? How will I know whether we've got there? What will look and feel differently? What what behaviours will I see that have changed? And articulating that really quickly and clearly, which is a conversation I think we've long been trying to start inside L&D, but quite often the conversation would start with most people from, yeah, but I need you to, them to learn this. But, but why? Let's Let's take the conversation back. What are we trying to change? What are we trying to achieve? I think the conversations change fundamentally inside organizations about what are we here for? What are we trying to do? And how can we do it by today, tonight? Is, is and this, the case this, in the pandemic. this short-term immediate focus on having to achieve results and the learning and development department being the route to getting that shifted that conversation. But of course, Helen, it's only because you were able to actually deliver change in behaviour, presumably that people keep going back to you. If you weren't able to deliver it, then people would go elsewhere for it. So that's no good. It's great that the conversation has shifted. Is that still the case, by the way? Because with six months in, there is less, I think, pressure on immediate goals. But do you find the conversation is still now focusing on behaviours rather than reverting to knowledge and content? I think the conversation has fundamentally shifted, yeah, in my experience. I think right. that people are just now much more focused on what do we want to try to achieve. I think that's what a pandemic does to people. You know, you focus in on the absolute necessities. What do we need to deliver? Right. What do we need to do today? And a lot of people I speak to are very keen to retain that mindset and to have really learned from it. And people have felt it really keenly. So, And they've had a lot of practice as well over the last six months at, at doing it. So it's become and more embedded behaviour. Exactly. I've, I've made the point to a lot of people, although there are different suggested average times that are required to develop a new habit, certainly six months is long enough. And the idea that it's a blip, I think, is wrong. I think there's enough evidence there to suggest that in organisations like yours, where you've done a good job, then new habits are being formed. All right, so that's where we are now. What happens next? Do you see the tools changing? Do you see the habits changing? Where do you go from here? I think what happens next, as as I've probably already alluded to, is that we've probably accelerated some things hugely than we would have done. I think that we will use a lot more of the opportunities in the toolbox of L&D than we did before. I think we'll be much more embedded within within the workflow for people which you know is something we, we, we're always trying to do but you know again getting things to people absolutely where and when they need it in the most suitable way so the resources they need are just accessible to, to help them do their jobs or the experiences they need are, are easily to easy to engage with i think that that acceleration into the flow of work um, to use the bursting term for it or you know to using those different tools in different ways to to really help people to to support their the delivery of, of their roles i think i think that fundamental change that, that that will stick and i think it will it will move us forward quite a long way in terms of some of the agenda that 
that we have in L&D. So what's next is really, I think, laser focus now on what, for all organisations, I mean, it's been fascinating being in Spider food retailer during this period because yeah. we've continued to trade all the way throughout, you know, and I'm very aware that it's been very, very different for many organisations who've had to close, fundamentally close all their operations, furlough their teams and, you know, and are still very much perhaps wondering about how what the future looks like and how, how they come come out of it. I mean, I think food retailers have, have had lots of challenges and additional costs and so on throughout but they've carried on trading and I think that's a big difference if you've carried on trading then you've carried on thinking about what does the future look like how might customer patterns change what are the next big things we need to go after and starting to be really laser focused on the key priorities and how you'll deliver them which then from a a learning point of view gives you a lot more clarity around what are the key things you need to support the business to achieve whereas perhaps before people were going after many many different priorities and, and you were having to try to understand quickly what what the most um, mm. important things were to support now i think it's become absolutely laser focused on these are the key things we need to do next i'm sure in other organizations it's a bit different because they're in the how do we come out of this how do we start trading again so the, the challenges are different there that's i hadn't thought about that at all uh, that's a really interesting point the idea we've spoken about lockdown being a catalyst for change but also about it being something that absolutely focuses attention if you're trading on what you need to be doing in a new environment whereas it's that's something which companies that have locked down are coming out of it are going to have to go through that whole learning process as they come out of lockdown and they won't necessarily be successful at it not because they fail to adapt but because the new environment is so very different for them i love the idea also that the good thing because there's been so many bad things but the good thing that's come out of this is possibly the idea of learning now becoming much more part of the flow of work which is a term that's been around for quite a long time but yeah as you say recently popularized by josh burson and it's something which we've absolutely believed in pity that it has to be this pandemic that makes it something that becomes part of people's lives Okay, Helen, let's wrap up with the questions that we ask every guest. Two questions. What do you wish you'd known when you'd started? And what are you curious about right now in L&D? So what, what do you wish you... Now, I say when you started, we know you had this multifaceted career, but let's go right back to the beginning. When you become a research uh, assistant in academia, right at that point, what do you wish you'd known about learning and development? I think when I was learning to be a, uh, a lecturer, one of the things that one of my mentors said to me at the time when I was struggling with how do I structure a session how do I help somebody learn this material and information is stop worrying about you and what you'll deliver or what materials you've got or what information you you have and and just absolutely focus on the person that you're trying to help what is it that they're going to find most helpful how are they going to find it most helpful to to absorb that information and and just access that information and be able to use it and and how long are they going to need that for you know they're going to need to practice they're going to need to apply are they going to need to talk to others you know what is the process going to look like think about them and i think when you first potentially get involved in l d you're worrying about you know what tools do i need to use what what software do i need to learn what processes do i need to understand and actually i think the key thing that i wish i'd known a bit sooner is that it's nothing to do with any of that all of those things come and they come over time with practice and and experience but start with what is it you're trying to achieve and for whom 
what, what does the, the person that you're trying to help need and how can you be most helpful and relevant to them? I think that's a, such a good reminder, not just for people who are beginning, but for anybody working in this field at any point. Always focus on what you're trying to achieve and how you help that person achieve it. What are you curious about, Helen? What's making you excited? What am I curious about? I'm, I'm curious about, I'm always curious about technology. So all the way through my career, I've always been really curious about how technology could support what we do as, as a learning and development professionals and, and always trying to be an early adopter of new technology. I'm really fascinated now to see how that's going to evolve, that picture is going to evolve in terms of, for example, how software like Microsoft Teams and the Microsoft 365 stack might now actually become a much more everyday use tool for learning as opposed to just collaboration. So I'm curious to see how technology evolves. I'm always curious about that. And and some of the technologies that are probably not new to some teams, but in learning teams, you know, I don't think we've used some technologies for collaboration, whiteboarding and online whiteboarding and that kind of collaboration, for example, as effectively as we could have done. And so uh, doing some of those things and using those tools, it'll be interesting to see how much they become an embedded part of what we do. I also think it's, it's curious, I'm curious about just how much we will revert to doing things face to face and and whether or not and how we'll go back to doing that because I think there's definitively a place for that kind of thing and think about a, a retailer for example we've got cafes that we operate it's very very difficult to uh, train somebody how to make a coffee effectively yeah. on uh, on a team's call or to fillet a fish for example so you know <laughs> there's, there's always going to be good reason why you need to get hands-on with things to practice and apply them and what what will that look like going forwards and and just how much will we be able to flex and change uh the offer. I suspect that you already know the answer to some of these questions that you're being curious about, or you've got a good sense of it because of the very detailed answers you're giving, the, uh, and the sense that you can use this tool here, that approach there. In the end, it becomes a blend, not a blend of online and offline. It's much more sophisticated than that. Synchronous, asynchronous, collaborative, whether that's face-to-face -face or otherwise. And that's the new world we're going into, isn't it? Which is great if we are, as you said earlier, finally using the right tool for the job rather than one of a couple of different sizes of hammers, which is largely where we've been in the past. Yeah. Helen, great to speak with you. I, I suspect we should come back in six months' time and do a catch-up. What happened when we came back out of lockdown? Did we go back to face-to-face? -to -face? I think the answer is no, not entirely. But we chose it when it was the right tool. So perhaps we'll see you again in 2021. But right now, Helen Smythe, thank you so much for joining us on the Speaks. Thanks, John. Bye for now.